from the heart of Nipti Radio, high atop 107 Columbia, where the sun is always shining, welcome to today's practice tip. Today we're going to be speaking about some special plea and sentencing issues that sometimes are overlooked or misunderstood. Let's start with multiple felony YO adjudications. Is that possible? The answer is yes. A defendant may receive multiple felony youthful offender adjudications in limited circumstances. One of the requirements for determining if a defendant is an eligible youth for felony youthful offender treatment is whether the defendant has a previous felony YO adjudication. If he or she does, then he or she has burned the right to be considered for youthful offender treatment in the present case. In determining if the defendant has burned his or her YO eligibility, you need to know when is a previous adjudication deemed to have taken place. The decision in People v. Cecil Z, a 1982 Court of Appeals decision, addresses this issue. The court held that when a defendant is facing two cases, he or she is considered an eligible youth on both cases if he or she pleads guilty on the second felony case before he or she is sentenced on the first felony case. This occurs, the defendant is eligible to receive YO treatment on both cases. Now this rule applies if the defendant is facing more than two cases. Thus, the court must consider the possibility of granting the defendant youthful offender treatment on this second case, even though the defendant has been adjudicated a youthful offender at the sentencing for the first conviction. As you know, failure of the court to consider an eligible youth for YO treatment will be the basis for an appeal and the case being sent back to the sentencing court for the proper consideration. Let's turn to pleading guilty to an e-violent felony offense. Now, there are only a few e-violent felony offenses in the penal law, only five to be exact. One of them is an attempt to commit the DVFO possession of a firearm under Penal Law 26502, either Subdivision 5, 6, 7, or 8. Now, this is only considered a VFO when the plea is as a lesser included offense to satisfy an accusatory instrument containing the charge of the DVFO. Now, if the defendant is to plead guilty by way of SCI, it is imperative that the SCI contain the completed DVFO charge and that the defendant should then plead guilty to an attempt to that completed crime. This will satisfy the statute and the defendant will in fact have been convicted of an e-violent felony offense. If, however, the SCI is drawn up with only the attempted crime to which the defendant is going to plead guilty, then you have not satisfied the requirements of the statute that the defendant be pleading to a lesser included offense of the charge in the accusatory instrument, and therefore this plea will not be considered to an e-violent felony offense. It will only be considered an e-felony conviction. In the recent decision in the case of People v. Coleman from the Second Department, a defendant was sentenced as a VFO predicate felony offender based on a previous e-VFO conviction. On appeal, the defendant claimed that his prior conviction was in fact not an e-violent felony offense, but only an e-felony, because 
The accusatory instrument upon which he pled guilty, an SCI, only contained the attempted possession of the gun and not the completed possession. The appellate court agreed, and the case had to be remanded for new sentencing under the correct basis for him as a predicate felon. Now let us turn to the fact that a defendant may plead guilty to a non-existent crime, a, quote, crime for which he or she may not be tried nor charged with in an indictment, nor either accidentally request it be charged as a lesser-included offense. The Court of Appeals has held that a defendant may plead to a non-existent crime when it is done with the knowledge of and or at the request of the defendant in order to avoid harsher penalties of a higher count. In the Court of Appeals case of People v. Foster in 1967, the court upheld the plea to a non-existent crime. In that case, it was an attempted manslaughter in the second degree. While pleas of this type are often frowned upon in various offices and avoided in most cases, they are nonetheless permissible in New York. Now, at trial, a defendant may successfully request that a lesser-included offense be submitted to the jury when, in fact, it turns out it really isn't a lesser-included offense. In such situations, if the defendant requests it and it's granted, and he or she is convicted for that crime, they cannot on appeal then claim, well, it wasn't a lesser-included offense, so it should not have been submitted. However, this rule has no application to non-existent crimes. A defendant cannot be convicted at trial for a crime which does not exist, even if the defendant requests the charge or fails to object to it being charged. By this point, it's fairly obvious that the laws of New York have been written in such a way that there is a great encouragement for defendants to plead guilty before the case gets to trial. You should be familiar with CPL 220.20, which contains a list of permissible pleas that would not appear to be permissible without this enabling statute. It contains a significant number of crimes that are considered for plea purposes to be lesser-included offenses of other charges which at trial are not lesser-included offenses. Now let's take a look at an interesting aspect in the determination of a defendant's predicate felony offender status. In order for a defendant to be considered a predicate felony offender, the sentence for the first or predicate felony must have been imposed before the defendant commits the present crime. For this reason, if a defendant has pled guilty, but the court has permitted the defendant to remain at liberty until the date of sentence, and the defendant does not return for sentence on that date, you should move to have the defendant sentenced in absentia. By doing this, if the defendant is subsequently returned as a result of an arrest for a new crime allegedly committed after the sentencing in absentia, he or she may be sentenced on that new case as a predicate felony offender. Be sure the court explains this to the defendant and that this is what will happen at the time of plea and that if the defendant does not return, this sentencing in absentia will take place. Another important point to remember in determining a defendant's predicate felony offender status is that in calculating the 10-year period required for determining if the previous conviction is within the statutory time limit, you must calculate from the sentencing date of the previous or first conviction 
and the date of the commission of the present crime. The arrest date is totally irrelevant to this calculation. Our final piece of business today deals with the question of whether or not a defendant may receive a sentence of probation on one case and a period of incarceration on another case. While a defendant may receive split sentences of a period of incarceration not to exceed six months and a probationary period of four years and six months when he or she is not a predicate felony offender for certain crimes, the defendant who stands convicted for two separate distinct felony cases cannot be sentenced to probation on one and incarceration on the other. This is written in the Penal Law 65, Subdivision 1BIV. To find the case law and statutory authority for the issues discussed today, please be sure to read the written version of this nifty practice tip, as well as seeing the extended memos in the PE, one entitled Please to Lesser Charges, What is Permitted, and the other one, Please, When They Are Permissible in New York. As always, our thanks to our crack producer, Jonathan Marconi Crespino. To all of you, be well, my friends, and stay ready. I want to stick around and want to get my-